Welcome to episode number 238. In today's episode, we have got a special guest for you, as well as some fabulous information. We're going to be covering urban gardening and also how to optimize and use small spaces to still grow your own food, talking about raised beds and grow bags, as well as using hydroponic systems. If that doesn't whet your appetite, I don't know what will. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, best-selling author of three books, including my newest book, The Family Garden Plan, Grow a Year's Worth of Healthy and Sustainable Food for Your Family, as well as I am the founder and creator of the Pioneering Today Academy. The Academy is my online membership site where I guide you through all aspects of seasonal living using modern homesteading to grow your own food, preserve it, and cook it from scratch with step-by-step tutorials, as well as a community of others who are living this lifestyle that can give you support and inspiration and help right alongside me. We only open for membership a few times a year, but if you are listening to this at the time it goes live, you're going to want to make sure that you head over to melissaknorris.com forward slash waitlist and get on the list. You're going to get some special goodies by being on that list, as well as an invite to join when we open the doors for new members on February 19th. Now, back to today's episode and today's guest. I am thrilled to introduce you to Kevin. Kevin is the host of the Epic Gardening Podcast, as well as an urban gardener and the founder of Epic Gardening, which is a gardening education company whose mission is to reach 10 million plus people and teach them how to grow their own food no matter where they live. Kevin is interesting because he started gardening in a condo in 2011, where he set up a hydroponic system, which we're going to be talking more about hydroponics in depth in today's episode, and growing herbs and vegetables. Since then, he's expanded into every type of gardening imaginable, even living off of his own food for a month in June of 2019. And we're going to be talking about that experiment, things he would do differently, and how that went. So without further ado, let's jump straight in to today's episode. Well, without further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode because it is going to be epic. Yes, that was a total pun there. You guys better appreciate it. But Kevin, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Melissa. I appreciate that pun. (laughs) I I thought you might. I get a little goofy sometimes, my humor, but. I couldn't resist. So I am really excited for you to come on today and share because you have a very different growing background than I do of space and climate and all of those things. But what I love is it really doesn't matter where you live, how much or how little space you have. If you are determined to grow some of your own food, you can figure out a way to make it work. So I love being able to share all these different things. So with our listeners who 
they may be familiar with you because the Epic Gardening Podcast is a great podcast. And I know we share some listeners, but for those who aren't familiar, give us a little bit of background about how you grow your food and your environment and kind of share with people so that they know where you're coming from. Yeah, sure. So I think you're right. I don't think that our backgrounds could be much more different than they are, you know, because I grew up not as a gardener at all. I was a suburban Southern California kid who loved to skateboard and play video games and all that sort of stuff and always had kind of a science nature mind, but it just never expressed itself through gardening. And so I came to gardening later in life after I graduated college. And right now, I, this is actually the most space I've ever grown in, Melissa, which is probably going to be uh, hilarious to you since you have so much. Uh, but I'm growing in a front yard, an urban front yard in San Diego, California, which is zone 10B. And I have, I would say about hmm, maybe 20 by 40 feet in the front yard, which is packed to the brim with raised beds. Like it's hard to even maneuver around because I put so many raised beds in there. And then I have a side yard where I'm using some other stand-up raised beds, self-watering systems, grow bags, things like that, because that's, of course, just concrete. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's quite a cramped space and it's really not what you think of when you think of gardening, but I'm trying to make it work. And this is just the place that I'm living in right now. So I'm doing it. And I love that because oftentimes I know a lot of people get in their head like, oh, I don't have, you know, a very big backyard or, you know, I'm renting, like this isn't even, you know, my right. property or that right. type of thing. And so they just kind of say like, well, someday when I get into that, you know, someday place or that other, you know, a better area that's, that's going to be easier or more conducive or whatnot, then I'm going to start and they just put it off. But you can totally start wherever you're at. And I love that because you're living proof of that. So the side you said is concrete, obviously, which is why you definitely have your raised beds there. But then your front yard is that actual yard space or why did you decide to go with the raised beds? Kind of walk me through that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's exactly the reason that you mentioned. I'm also renting. So I don't really want per se to like spend years improving the soil because I may not be here for even a single year longer. I, you never know, right, where life will take you. And so when I moved in, this was kind of just, it was bare dirt, super heavy, compacted clay, really not that deep before you got to the actual sort of building material below. And so I said, I would much rather put in some raised beds. First of all, I'm six foot four. It's a little bit easier for me to work <laughs> in a raised bed. Um, but I'd much rather put in raised beds and actually build my soil from scratch instead of kind of growing in ground and maybe six inches of hard clay. It just didn't make a lot of sense for me. And the raised beds I'm using are really easily deconstructable. They're made out of metal. And so whenever I move, I can just take them apart. I can give my soil away and then move them somewhere else. And, and I'm good to go in a new location. Okay. I love that. And I, I think that's really key too, is looking at like, if I am going to have to move, what's going to be easiest for me to move or to not invest a ton in? Because that is a consideration you know, especially when you are renting, like you said, is you don't want to invest a lot in something that's not yours. And, you know, things change. Landlords may have to sell or you just never know. So I think it's really smart, though, that you're like, I'm still going to make it work um, and we're going to do it. So with your gardening zone, because it is so different than mine, your 10B. So at the time of this recording, we're kind of at the tail end of January. So for me right now, everything's still under snow and I have very little that I can harvest. But I know that's completely different for down south. So kind of right now, walk me through what you've got going on 
Um, and too, because I, I want people to know for how small of a space, I know you said you had things kind of crammed in there, but you can grow a ton in little space. I think more than people even realize. So kind of walk us through what you've got going on right now in the garden and how much you're able to get out of this, this space. Sure. Yeah. So first of all, is speaking to the zone, I've never really thought about it in this angle, but I'll, I guess I'll sort of say it right now. The way I kind of think about a 10B zone is we just have a really long start, rise, and fall for summer. And then we have kind of like a forever fall, early spring throughout fall, winter, and spring. Okay. Uh, so we just, it's just you, whatever you could grow in fall like it starting in late summer, moving into fall for other zones that actually do have a frost, you can just keep growing that here until it becomes summer again, uh, is kind of the way that I think about it. And so as soon as like fall comes around, I'm not necessarily shutting the garden down. Although sometimes I do like to take a little bit of a break and, and kind of lay it to rest for a little bit of time, do some travel or whatever. But what I like to do is, is just go with leafy greens and root crops if possible. And I can just succession sow those over and over and over again. And I'm good to go until it becomes time to put in those, those summer crops again. So that's kind of the first thing that I think about. And then as far as how much food you can grow, I mean, I did an experiment last year, Melissa, where I tried to live off of for a month in June, mm -hmm. only what I could grow in my garden, fish for in the ocean, forage for locally around here, or trade with other uh, gardeners or, or farmers. And it okay. had to be a fair market value trade. So I, I mean, I literally grew enough potatoes in my front yard that I could actually just calorically speaking, live off the potatoes. I didn't do that because that would have been <laughs> pretty boring, but uh, <laughs> it was possible is, is what I'm saying. And so, yeah, to speak to what you're saying, if I can do that in a 10 by 20 foot urban uh, front yard, then, then certainly, you know, if you're in an apartment or, or a condo or a townhouse or whatever the case may be, it's definitely possible to grow something. Okay. I love this because when you were talking, I'm like, dude, you are a total homesteader. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, like, I'm a homesteader is, without I a home it. is what I am. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So out of that challenge, I'm, I'm very intrigued. I love, we've done that too, where we kind of see how far, how long can we go with just what we, what we've got put up. And, and I love that. And I know a lot of my listeners do too. So when you did this, it was in June, which I'm going to assume is a, a good harvest time, good time of year where you have a lot of stuff coming on. But um, so were you, were you successful for the month? How did you, are you going to, do you plan to do it again? Or yeah. I'd love a quick recap on that. Sure. So it was really interesting because for me, that meant like, because I have such little space, I had to devote almost all of it to the potatoes because I just had to think from a caloric perspective and not necessarily a nutritional density. Okay. So I grew tons of potatoes and those, most of those came out of the ground early to mid June. Uh, really interesting in, in California, on the coastline of California, there's a fish called the grunion, which does a, a grunion run. So it spawns, but it spawns on the beach. And oh. so that was happening in June, twice in June. And that was one of the periods where their, their major reproductive cycle is done by June. And so the, the last runs in June, you're actually allowed to harvest them. And so I ran around the beach grabbing fish. Uh, it's the easiest fishing I've ever done in my life. You just scoop <laughs> them up with your hands. And yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly a challenge. Like mentally, it was a challenge because I'm not used to not eating sugar, bread, meat products, coffee, any sort of alcohol. Like all of that was completely gone from my diet the day before the challenge, right? I just had to stop eating all that because I didn't have any of that. I didn't grow, it, grow fish, forage, or barter for it, so I couldn't eat it. And so the first five days were really rough. I started to slowly get acclimated to that, that way of living. And it was just 
very, very mentally taxing to have to spend all my time growing or fishing or foraging or trading for food because, I mean, that's, that's really what my day was about was just, can I get enough to, to eat? And, and was it the most healthy I've ever eaten? In a way, yes, because it was all natural, like homegrown, home-fished food. Mm-hmm. In another way, no, because my, my calories were way lower than they should have been. I lost like 13 pounds, I think. Um, and the, the balance of macronutrients wasn't ideal. But, it, you know, for a month, it, I, was, I was fine. But gotcha. yeah, it, it was a little tough, but it was also, you know, it, was, it wasn't intended to be like, I'm living the most healthy life I possibly could. I was kind of going into this like survival mode saying, hey, is this possible if the world was to end? Could I even, could I even have a chance, you know? I love that. Yeah, especially in that urban environment. So you didn't allow yourself, even if you have the food in the pantry for this challenge, it wasn't just, I'm not going to buy anything from the store. It, you were only eating what you had produced, foraged, or, or hunted for but mm-hmm. not with the fishing. Mm-hmm. So did you let yourself use salt for flavoring or only herbs that you had grown for flavoring? Or, or how yeah. did you... Yeah, that's actually a good question. So the, the one caveat is I did allow myself salt and one bottle of uh, coconut oil or okay. one thing of coconut oil, which I tried to use as sparingly as possible because obviously that's pretty dense in calories. Um, so I maybe used like maybe a tablespoon-ish of coconut oil or so a day. And then the salt, I thought about just going to the ocean and dehydrating it because that's actually not that hard. Um, but I was like, yeah, you know what? It's fine to use a little bit of salt for the challenge. Okay, cool. That's really fascinating. Like my hat off to you. We, like, we've done pantry challenges where, you know, what we've grown, we're using our, a lot of our homegrowns, but plus I have children, uh, yeah, but yeah. you know, we've, I've used like what I had purchased in bulk already, you know, those type of things. So it was just like not buying anything new mm-hmm. and trying to make the majority of our meals from our homegrown, which a lot of our regular life eating is that way anyways, because we raise all of our own meat and that, but um, I've never done it to that extent. So thanks for, I know it was not originally what we had planned necessarily <laughs> to talk about when you brought it up. I'm like, oh, and then my other question, just from a curiosity standpoint, um, so is that a white fish? Is it red fish? What type of- um, Grunion, I think it's, it's a white fish, but it's really just a bait fish. I mean, they don't get much more than six inches or so, I would say. Oh, they're, and so they're small. Okay. They're very, very small. And so when you're running around, the, the regulations prohibit you from capturing them in any way besides your hand. And wow. so you have to run around and grab them with your hand and put them into a bucket. You're not allowed to take more than you would use, which is oh. interesting because that's a subjective uh, regulation. Right. <laughs> uh, and so in my case, I, I went out with my cousin who, who runs a fishing website and we kind of ran around and it's at midnight. So you've got to get out there pretty late. Oh, wow. We stayed up until about maybe four, I would say maybe 4am one of these nights. And I got like a couple hours of sleep that day. Cause you have to harvest, you have to, you have to clean them and, and preserve them that day or else they're not going to be great. So right. it was, it was a pretty taxing thing, but it was also a pretty exhilarating experience to run around and collect them. Okay. Well, I love that. And I also like it because it's proof that, you know, if you're resourceful and think about it and of course timing it, you know, we, you, we had the luxury of timing it in like a, a you know, big emergency or, or, you know, huge natural disaster. You can always decide that it's going to be the, the month that the grunion are coming in. Um, but I love that you did that because you did show that you can do that even in a very urban environment. Um, if you are resourceful, it's possible. So I think that's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was a fun experiment. Are you going to repeat it ever? Well, yeah, I think not in the current place that I'm living. Just okay. because it changed, it honestly changed so much about what I grew that season because 
if I'm taking potatoes out of basically 100% of my garden in June, I'm already late on starting things in the mm -hmm. summer. And yeah. so it actually changed the character of my whole garden. And I want to have a more sort of classic structure to it this year. But yeah, if I ever move to larger space, something maybe more similar to, to how you're living, then I see no reason why I wouldn't try it again. I think this year I'll, I'll do one day a week during the growing season, uh, fully homegrown or foraged or traded for. I think that could be fun, but I yeah. don't think I'll go a full month again. I love that. And I love that you're thinking of ways to do it in moderation because really any of, any of us who have a garden or whatnot could say, okay, I'm going to do this, you know, X amount of days a month or a week or whatever. And I, what I like, I don't know about, I'm sure you've experienced this too, but when I do those pantry challenges too, is sometimes even me, like I can get a little bit lazy if I'm being honest, you know, and mm. rely on, you know, either this same recipes a lot, you know, you, what's good and your family likes you keep doing, but sometimes I get a little bit lazy and I'm not always using all the stuff that I've put up, um, you know, and so when we've done those type of pantry challenges or very similar to what you were explaining, it really makes me use the food that we have. And I, I know that that almost sounds like a luxury problem. Like, are you, are you kidding me? You're not using it. Right, right, right. You know, but honestly, and I think most people relate to that too. Like all of us have stuff in our pantry that you've bought and you haven't used for whatever a reason. And it's been sitting there for a while. Um, but I like doing those type of things too, because it does make me look at my food and be like, okay, you have to put this to use. How are you going to do it? And sometimes some of our newer, like it becomes a new family favorite has evolved from things like those, or like you said, it makes you rethink what I'm growing in the garden this year, <laughs> you know, based on that. So I think that can be a fun experiment. I like your idea of maybe just trying it once a week. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's a little bit more palatable this year with uh, all the other <laughs> things going on, you know? Definitely. So talking back to our urban and our small space gardening, um, for somebody who is in an urban environment, kind of what it would be your, like your best advice or the things like, man, I wish I had known this when I first got started. Yeah, sure. So I, I think for urban gardening, small space gardening, you kind of just have to play with the rules of your space. That's your biggest limiting constraint. And if that's your biggest limiting constraint, then the thing you have to think about is, okay, where am I getting the most sun? Because for you know, someone who with, with a quarter acre, half acre, acre or more, sun is more or less everywhere. Uh, you don't have any obstructions. But for even me, my, my front yard, my, I knew it as soon as I saw the house. I said, the front yard has to be the spot where almost all my production is because it's a south facing front yard with a relatively low picket fence that's just blocking the sidewalk off. And so for me, I'm like, okay, well, I could grow in the side yard and I do grow in the side yard, but that's got leafy greens, root crops, things that need just a little bit less sun. The backyard, I can't do anything. It's a two and a half story tall Victorian house that's facing and the backyard's facing north mm -hmm. uh, with a fence on the other side. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm growing like ferns in here, you know, ferns, alocasias and ornamental stuff. And so, yeah, space, you have to audit your space. I mean, that, that really is it. And so back when I lived, I lived in downtown San Diego, I was in a condo and I had a West facing balcony and that's it. And so I said, okay, well, if this is all I have, number one, it's not ideal uh, because I'd of course rather that have some South exposure, right? Uh, but you, that, that's really your number one constraint. Okay, where am I getting the light and how much space do I have in that area? And that determines what you can grow. And so back then in, in downtown, tomatoes were kind of really not on the table if I wanted to, to max out the production of that space. I went with, you know, microgreens, leafy greens, 
some root crops, some carrots, things like that. And so that's my, that's probably my number one tip. And then it kind of gets into, well, what method are you going to actually use to grow the food? Okay. I love that because oftentimes I feel like gardeners, or maybe it's just me, but I almost get like this romanticized idea of like all the things that I want to grow. And like, like you said, you kind of get in your mind, like, oh man, like all these, you know, really luscious, like vine ripened tomatoes and stuff. But if you don't have the climate or the space from it for it, it's kind of wasteful. You're going to be really disappointed trying to grow it if you're fighting, filing yep. elements yep. in space that are just not existing. Yep. Um, so I love it. And like you said, you know, doing those microgreens. And what's interesting is, like I said, I do have the luxury of doing in-ground or having space. I do some raised beds and container gardening even on our homestead. Um, but root crops, I don't feel that typically at least in my gardening environment, that people think of doing root crops as much in raised beds or in containers. I think people more often think of root crops actually like as in the ground crops. So right, I love right. that, that you're bringing up talking about the root crops and still growing those above ground and in containers. So when you're doing those in the containers, you know, obviously the, the depth of the container is going to have to be there if it's a, a long reaching root, just so that it has time. But do you have any tips in regards to doing some of the root crops in container type gardening? Yeah. So first of all, I, I really like what you said about the gardener's sort of dream. I'll say I've definitely fallen prey to that before where I, I want to grow something. So I grow it in spite of my subconscious knowing that it's probably not going to work out that well. Yeah. Um, so I've done that a million times, but yeah, for, for root crops, First of all, I like them just because of the joy of growing, just the pure joy of, of watching them develop and then being able to pull them out of the ground is just so satisfying. And so I would grow them even if I didn't like to eat them. But for me, yeah, you're right. I mean, depth and the quality of the soil is going to be the most important thing, especially when growing in a container. And so I like to grow, if it's a carrot and I'm growing it like in a little planter box or something, maybe I grow a Parisian style carrot that is more of one of those ball shapes instead of a really long, uh, you know, Danvers style, right? And so selection of the variety starts to get really important. And you can even grow, I mean, there's radishes that are like a cherry bell is going to grow in a nice little ball versus a daikon is probably, I mean, the, the taproot of a daikon will go like feet down if you let it grow. And so, yeah, when it comes to, to root crops in any kind of container, I honestly think that almost less so than the depth of the container, sorry, more so than the depth of the container, the, the variety you choose is, is almost the most important. Okay. That was an excellent tip and not one that I think, um, I always talk about the variety to your climate, but also to your growing medium is what you're saying. So th that is a great, and now I want to go try that type of radish. <laughs> I love yeah. radishes. And yeah, when you yeah. said that, the, the name alone, the, the cherry, I'm like, oh, that sounds so good. And I just have to ask you this because I always feel so silly, but when I go out to the garden, especially like for my beets, because I don't want to pull one up if it's not developed enough yet, but I am super impatient. Like patience is not my virtue <laughs> at all. And so I, I will take my hand and like really lightly and delicately. So I don't disturb anything, but I like brush back the dirt just to see how much. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do the form. same thing. Okay. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of, I'm sure you get this question a lot too, is like, how do you, how do you know when a root crop's ready to harvest? Because the part you're trying to harvest is under the ground, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like if it's a carrot and you know, let's say it's like a Danvers style carrot and you know that roughly it's like maybe an inch and a half in diameter is when it's mature and ready to go. You just brush the soil back and, and see if it's an inch and a half in diameter, then, then you know. Um, and I do the same thing with my beets. Actually, I have some beets in my stand-up raised bed in the side yard and I can 
tell that they're ready because I've I've kind of excavated like an archaeologist around. Yeah. And it's like a big fat beat. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to pull that bad boy up. <laughs> okay. I'm glad I'm not the only other one that does it. I even I'm so bad. I even do that with my seats. Like when I direct so outside. I've done, and that. Like, I've done that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause cause I'll go like for, for me, sometimes I forget the germination. If I'm planning like 20 different varieties, I'll be like, oh, how long does it take for this one to germinate again? And then I'll start to get paranoid that maybe it didn't come up or maybe it rotted yeah. out or something. Yeah. And so then I'll say, okay, well, in this little seed starting trail, I'll at least dig up one of them and just see if it's germinating. Like I'll do that with beans or peas or whatever. I don't think it's a good idea, <laughs> but I definitely still do it. Okay. I, yeah. So this is like true confessions of, of a gardener here. Yeah. I do the <laughs> same thing, especially if I'm worried that it's rotting, you know, exactly. I'm like, oh man, cause I'm like, if one's rotted, there's a good chance a lot of them are. And I'm like, I might as well just re-sow. I mean, thankfully seeds are fairly inexpensive in contrast to starts or purchasing for starts sure. and seedlings. So yeah, I, for sure. I love that. So okay. Um, so of course there's the raised beds and you said that you have yours constructed with metal so that they're easy for you to deconstruct and to move. I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, but what are some other options, especially for more of, like you said, you had a balcony where, in your first growing space. So I'm going to assume you didn't have a big metal raised bed out on the balcony. No, um, no. What are some of your other favorite options um, of incorporating in if a raised bed isn't maybe the way or the, you have an area that you might not be able to fit a full raised bed in, but you're like, man, I could still put some stuff in here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There, I'm, so I kind of think about it in three categories. You've got the stuff that will grow on the ground. You have something that will attach to whatever structure that you're working with. And then you have something that will hang down, right? And so if let's just go with balcony as an example what I might do, it depends on the balcony, right? If, if you're putting something on the ground in the balcony and the sun's just not great, then maybe you kind of can't even do that in the first place. But if you can, then I, I'm a huge fan of grow bags, which are like these uh, fabric. I don't know exactly what kind of fabric they're made out of, but like a foldable fabric, five gallon, 10 gallon, 15 gallon pot that uh, is just very, very flexible, very movable, lightweight, and it, it drains really well, which is a problem sometimes when you're, you're growing in containers, right? Yeah. So I, I love that because you can, again, if you're a renter, you can just move it around. You can reposition it as the sun moves throughout the season, whatever the case may be. So grow bags make up a big part of that for me. Then if, if it's a, an attachment to a structure, I would say any kind of railing planter, there's like maybe four or five different types based on the railings, like sit on top, drill in, attach to it. But if you can get it to hang off the balcony, well, then you're just capturing more sun, right? So that's just better. So if you can do that, then I think that's a fantastic idea. And then an often forgotten one, because I think a lot of people think about a, a hanging basket as we just put ornamentals in that. Mm -hmm. But there's, there's no reason why you can't do a hanging basket of, of lettuce or herbs. Or I've even done this before and it, it, it works probably not as well as trellising them up, but it does, still does work is hanging peas. You just, mm. you just like, a, like a pole style pea Mm -hmm. Just have it fall down instead. Uh, <laughs> it works pretty well. It doesn't work okay. as well as trellising it up, but right. it, still, it still does work. And if you're dealing with a balcony and the, the, the decision is, should I grow them or not? Well, I'd rather grow them and get some than none. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's not optimal, but it still works. Well, the great thing with a piece is you've got, you know, the shoot part that you can eat anyways, mm -hmm. you know, so you can eat the, the leaves off there. And then if it is able to form the pods, then you've got that. And I, I like that. I haven't tried the peas. I, I have to say, as far as hanging basket wise, I did try to do 
tomatoes, uh, you mm. know, and those, uh, they were like, I swear there was an infomercial, like, I don't even know how many years back, I'm totally going to date myself. And it showed growing tomatoes and like these upside down buckets that had like, you know, a special lid and everything like that. And personally, I never had any success. They, there wasn't enough soil. I did, felt like no matter how often I watered. Yeah. yeah. And the, it, I just didn't get any production off of them. But peas don't have the root system that a tomato does. And part of it was the actual size of the container that I was trying to use when I was doing it for tomatoes. So I love the idea with the peas, but that actually brings up the watering situation, like with the grow bags and even with the hanging containers, I found, and I'm not even in your as much of a sunny, warm climate, I definitely have found that I have to do more watering more frequently when I am using containers and especially like hanging hanging ones. And so for you being in that Southern climate, kind of walk me through your watering process. Is it choosing different soil um, or things that you put in the soil to help or how do you? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the biggest challenge, especially like you mentioned with the grow bags, because they're a fabric and they're very porous on all sides. You're going to get evaporation out of the entire container rather than if you're growing in, let's say like a five gallon bucket, which is another thing that I've, I've done five gallon bucket will literally drown your plants unless you drill drainage holes. Right. And so it's kind of the exact opposite, but yeah, one thing I would do is I would typically mix in maybe a little bit more core or something like that into the mix because I want it to at least hold on a little bit longer. But I will say that like the grow bag thing has really evolved. The, The designs are getting better so that while they're still foldable, easily movable, et cetera, they're retaining a little bit more water than some of the earlier designs, which is really just like a, a felt pot, which okay. will leave water like crazy. So yeah, I mean, it's a mix of, of adjusting the soil slightly. You can't go too far on the soil because, you know, if a plant likes a certain type of soil, that's probably the soil you should give it regardless right. of if it's, it starts to drain too much, but there's things you can do. Like one thing that you can do is you can take a, um, you can just kind of mulch the top of, of the felt pot or the grow bag. Uh-huh. with either a solid piece. Like I have a, I have like a cutout of this, I don't know what it's called. It's like some sort of foam type material that was supposed to be used on a five gallon bucket as the top. But I put it on a uh, tomato in a grow bag just right around the main stem and that just protects the top. And so you're getting less, less loss out of the top. And that seemed to help quite a bit. You can okay. just throw micro bark or so, some kind of mulch on there as well. But yeah, I mean, you do have to monitor its container, right? So you have to monitor the watering quite a bit more than you would if it was certainly in ground or even in a raised bed. Gotcha. Now, how about, and this is something I will flat out say, I have no experience in at all, but I actually get reader and listener questions on the use of hydroponics. Is that something that you use in your growing? Yeah. So, so it's funny because hydroponics is the way that Epic Gardening actually started. So when I was, when I was growing back then, it was probably the worst living space I ever had for growing plants because I didn't even garden back then. I wasn't selecting where to live based on that. So I was in a townhouse that had just one little patio that was completely shaded throughout the entire day. So in my head, I was like, well, if I'm going to grow something, maybe I should just go to hydroponics because I'm going to need a light of some kind. It's just, nothing's going to grow if I don't have any light at all. And so, yeah, I went with a hydroponic system. I did hydroponic cucumbers straight out of the gate, which is probably a little, little ambitious. <laughs> Let's call it that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, they grew, they f- formed fruit and, and I harvested them, but they tasted awful, just oh. super bad. And okay. that's just because I didn't know how hydroponics worked at the time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, h- hydroponics to me 
if you have the space to grow in soil, grow outdoors, et cetera, I would opt for that because that's more in line with my gardening philosophy these days. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, or you want to experiment with it, hydroponics is actually an incredibly efficient way of growing a plant. Like if you're growing a leafy green, like a lettuce or something like that, maybe it's 55 days in soil. And in hydro, you can probably get it to the same point in about 35, I would say. Uh, So it's a a lot faster. And why why is that? Yeah, so I call it the, uh, you you ever see the movie WALL-E? Yes. Yeah, so it's the WALL-E philosophy of, of gardening where if you're a plant and all you have to do is just sit in an oxygenated bath of exactly the right nutrients that you need, completely bioavailable to you and you're getting the exact right amount of light and it's quote unquote summer all year long um, and you're, you're isolated from pests and isolated from diseases, there's no reason why you wouldn't grow extremely, extremely fast. You know okay. what I mean? And so it's, it's the same thing like in the movie with Wally where they're like going around in those motorized chairs and food is just getting put into their mouth. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's no surprise that those people are, are fat and it's kind of the same way with uh, hydroponics, you have exactly what the plant needs and nothing that it doesn't, which is why you're kind of maxing the growth out. So you're, so you're really able to tailor then the nutrients specific to the plant in an mm-hmm. easier way using a hydroponic system uh, than necessarily it is with your soil. Yeah, yeah. And, and okay. now there are, some, there are some downsides to that, right? Like some people will say that the flavor is not quite as good and, or you're you know, using synthetic nutrients or things like that. Uh-huh. Everything has a trade-off to it. Uh, I just find that hydroponics, if, if it's for you, if, if that space is what you need and, and you, you need to do it in that manner, then it can work really, really well. Okay, cool. Yeah, I have, like I said, I have no experience with the hydroponics. I think it's fascinating. Um, and that was interesting what you said too on the flavor not quite being the same. Mm. But do yeah, you know, I, I mean, like, is it a huge, like once you have it dialed in, I know you said with the cucumbers, like you, you just sure, sure. first starting. So that was kind of different, but kind of once you have it dialed in, in an experience, do you notice a huge flavor difference or just a small difference? Or does that even depend yeah, on the crop? I mean, it depends on the crop. And to me, it's harder for me to tell. And I can't tell how much of it is me knowing how it was grown in the first place, like some sort of placebo effect, you know, yeah. they've done studies they've done double blind scientific studies on it. And apparently those studies have concluded that you cannot tell a difference. Um, So the jury's kind of out. All I know is for me, it does feel that there's a little bit of a flavor differential, but Uh you know, that's just me. I I think someone else's experience might, might be different. Yeah, no, definitely. I find it. That's very interesting. So if somebody was looking at getting into hydroponics or adding a hydroponic component, especially if they are limited on space, or, you know, like that type of thing. Is there any, um, you know, kind of top tips on getting started sure, yeah. that you would recommend with that? Yeah, sure. So, so the first thing I'd recommend is, is plant selection. So I would say don't grow something if it's your first go that fruits or flowers, right? Because it's more complex. There's more moving parts. The plant's probably going to grow a little bit bigger and there's more lighting and nutrient requirements. So it's just easier to go with an herb or leafy green style setup first. And the thing that I would recommend everyone look up if they want to get into hydroponics is a system called deep water culture. So it sounds fancy. You can actually just build it with a five gallon bucket and an air pump and some nutrients. So basically what that is, is it's a reservoir of water. So imagine you have your five gallon bucket, you fill that up with water, you add your nutrients to it, 
and you put an air stone, kind of like what you would have in an aquarium that bubbles up the air. And that's just mm-hmm. to oxygenate the nutrient solution. Uh, and then what you would do is you would have a little seedling and you, you could either start the seed in the system or you could transplant it in. And what it'll happen is it'll, the roots will grow down into that nutrient solution. And you might think, oh, they're going to drown because they're just sitting in water. And of course that would kill roots, but they won't because you've been oxygenating the water. And so Uh it's a really, really efficient system. And what's nice is as the roots grow down, they're getting the water, the oxygen and the nutrients they need. And they're also, um, they're also not having to struggle too much. They're just sitting in there, like, like we're saying with the whole Wally analogy, they're just getting everything that they need and they grow extremely, extremely fast. And the only other thing I would say is, is lighting. You, you do need some type of additional grow light setup. And I would say the easiest okay. one for someone to start with would be just any kind of T5 fluorescent shop light, which you can get it at, you know, any big box store. If you want to get fancy, you can get fancy, but the simplest thing is to grab some sort of shop light setup and, and grow with those and, and just see how that goes for you. If you like it, it's actually a really nice way to have year round herbs, especially most if you're in a zone that, that cannot do that. Uh, like if you want fresh basil, fresh thyme, oregano year round, then having a little simple indoor hydroponic setup could be a really good way to achieve that. I love that. You know, I have to say, I said I'd never done hydroponics. I guess I kind of lied. Technically I have grown basil in water in a mason jar just, mm. you know, like a quart size mason jar. And I just added some liquid silica to it yeah. and it did okay for a couple of months. You know, it, it didn't grow like a ton. It wasn't super robust, but it did allow me to pluck, you know, if you, I had like three or four of them going throughout a winter. Um, and then eventually it did turn yellow cause I didn't have any type of grow light and our, <laughs> our sunlight is like non-existent yeah. Yeah, this time yeah. of year. Um, but I didn't even add any other nutrients to the water. I wasn't aerating it. So I'm actually surprised it did as well as it did. Um, but that was just like super small scale. So I'm assuming if I, if I added in some more nutrients and maybe even aerated the water, definitely put some more light on it that you're right. I probably could do a great little indoor herb garden during the winter months when anything out fresh, I should say. is Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I mean that, that, so that's actually a method called, um, Kratky. The Kratky method is a passive hydroponics method where there's just, you don't have to have an air pump or anything like that. That's effectively what you did there. And you're right. It it can work really, really well for a decent amount of time. If you want to like optimize that mason jar setup a little bit, it's a little silly, but you could have like a straw that you blow some air in every now and then. And you could just, you could just add a little bit more nutrients than you did. And, and that basil would do pretty darn well in that system. I actually might try that because one of the things I do dry, I have actually I do basil and salt because I found dried basil has almost no flavor. Yeah. Personally. yeah. It's and weird, so right? You'd it think is. It it's, it's one of the few herbs. It's so aromatic and fresh. It has such strong flavor, but dried, it just loses it all. So I actually preserve mine in salt. Um, and mm. then I have a basil salt that I use and I still have some in the fridge from, from this past summer, but there's nothing like fresh basil leaves. Like, oh my goodness. So um, I think I'm going to try that. So I do have one question for you. And that is when I first did this uh, experiment with the mason jars I was talking about way back when, I actually just went to the store. You know, you see those living basil plants. They're like wrapped in cellophane and they have some yeah. roots on them. I just mm-hmm. grabbed those and plopped them in. But if you were going to, if something has been started, like doing seed starting where it has been started in soil, can you transition it to hydroponic? Or like, how do you actually start with a plant in a hydroponic system? Sure. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's funny you say that because I was getting uh, pho, that Vietnamese dish yeah. ago, and they'll always give you a Thai basil style, like a Siam queen or something like that. You can just take that and you can root that from the pho restaurant 
and just bring that home and put that in a hydroponic system if you want to. So it's funny you mentioned the living basil. But yeah, to answer your question, if you had basil, let's say that uh, you bought it at a nursery or something and it was in soil, what I would do is I would take it out of the little pot it's in. I would gently rinse off the soil because you really don't want to be introducing a whole lot of soil into a, a hydroponic system. And then what you could do is in, in hydro, there's a, a product called a net pot, which is basically a cup with slits cut in it. You would put it in that and you would fill it with maybe like coconut core or um, expanded clay pellets or perlite or something like that. You need something to anchor the roots at the start. Okay. And then you could actually transplant it, you're right, into the hydroponic system. So that would work. Okay. What I would probably recommend, though, if you want to go straight into a hydroponic system would be, you might as well just start your seeds in a way that, that works well for, for hydroponics. And so for me, that could be like one of those jiffy peat pellets. That would work really well if you started like a, a lettuce in that. Or you could use, there's something called a rapid rooter, which is kind of like a... Um, I don't know exactly what it's made out of, but it's a biodegradable, but somewhat spongish type of material. They use some sort of bioadhesive to kind of bind peat together, I think. Um, and the only reason I like those for hydroponic is because it's an inert medium that doesn't have a lot of like particulate that it won't sort of fall into the, the system. Okay. You can just start it like that. I mean, it's the same way as starting any other seed. It's just you're using a different medium to, to get the seed off to a good start. Okay, gotcha. Because I'm assuming it has to have some type of roots before you can put it in the water. Something like you can just throw a seed in this water system and it's going to sprout and grow yeah, in the water. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the best way is, is, of course, to have, you know, like a little plug of some kind. Okay, good. Okay, well, you know what? I've got a new winter project now, so I'm actually kind of excited. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, you guys... Kevin is a world of information, does a lot of cool things with gardening, uh, working with what you've got, which is what I love. So Epic Gardening, you can check out his podcast, which is a daily podcast um, mm -hmm. that is shorter episodes. So it's really fun. You get these great uh, daily tips all on, on different gardening things and growing your own food and even doing houseplants kind of just all around gardening. But you do focus on food production quite a bit too. Uh, what are some other avenues that people can uh, check out what you're doing and learn more from you? Yeah, sure. So, so really anywhere that people spend time on the internet, I will also be and it'll be under Epic Gardening. So YouTube, the podcast, like you mentioned, which for all those listening, Melissa has been on for two different weeks which has been really fun to have Melissa on the podcast. So definitely check out her episodes. And yeah, YouTube, I'm on YouTube as well. The only thing that isn't uh, called Epic Gardening is the book that I have, which is called Field Guide to Urban Gardening, which covers actually a lot of what we talked about in today's show. So you can find that on Amazon or on my store, which is on my website. So yeah, um, it's, it's mostly just Epic Gardening. Okay, I like that. You actually do, um, I follow you on Instagram and you do quite a fun videos, shorter videos and snippets and, and stories and that type of thing um, that are really fun. So if you want to get your daily dose of gardening, uh, that's another great spot. So guys, we'll have links to, we talked about a lot of different things actually. So I will make sure that in the blog post that goes with today's episode that we've got um, all the different links so you can check out the different things as we've been mentioning, the different grow bags and some of these hydroponic systems, et cetera. Uh, you'll be able to go and check out those different things as well as Kevin's book and his podcast and all those fun things. So Kevin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Yeah. Thank you so much, Melissa. I'm really glad that I got a chance to come on your show and chat with you for a little bit. Yeah. Same here. 
I hope that you guys enjoyed that just as much as I did. And remember, if you want to get any links to further resources or things that we were talking about in today's episode, you can find those at melissaknorris.com forward slash 238. So just the number two, number three, number eight, because this is episode number 238. And there you will find all the resources and links with the blog posts that accompany every single episode. And if you enjoyed hearing from Kevin and the things that he's doing and the ways that he is growing his own food, just a little heads up. This is for my members of the Academy, or if you're on that wait list to join the Academy, Kevin is going to be doing some guest teaching on gardening with step-by-step tutorials inside the Academy. Thank you so much for joining me. I can't wait to be back here with you next Wednesday with our newest episode. Thank you.